Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, and I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. Dear 20-something started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful woman they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts we process internally, Dear 20-something is a space where listeners can hear insights, ask questions, and ultimately get advice from the woman they most admire. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Darlene Santor, known to many as Coach Dar. As a board-certified occupational therapist, business executive, author, and speaker, she is passionate about helping people break through barriers to achieve their goals. Recently named Senior Fellow of Path North, an organization comprised of world leaders and CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, her powerful message continues to reach a global audience. As a mental skills and leadership coach, she blends a knowledge of science, psychology, and achievement with her personal passion for life. The result? Individuals, corporate executives, and professional athletes and teams aim higher and achieve more. Additionally, Coach Dar is a trailblazer for Phoenix women and was awarded the most inspiring woman from the WNBA. It is her unique style and approach during transformational seminars, high impact speaking engagements, and exclusive one-on-one sessions that has helped people say no to the status quo, to raise the bar in their lives, to break free so they can break through, and to reignite their hearts to live a purposeful life. From her experience as a board certified occupational therapist to a healthcare executive, to COO, Chief Operating Officer of a record label, to Chief Performance Officer at a fast-growing jewelry company, to a mentor to global leaders, CEOs, and athletes, Darlene has a proven track record of leading people and inspiring positive changes that impact lives. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Coach Dar. Hi, Erica, and thanks so much for having me be a part of this tonight. Of course. Welcome. And you're familiar with Fireside. I know you've got a popular show here, so this is not your first rodeo. No, it's not. And I love it so much because it just allows us all to be able to connect in a different way. Totally agree. Yeah, it's been super fun doing the show. So we like to start every show with a fun question. What is something new that you learned this week? It can be maybe an interesting fact that someone you mentor taught you. It can be maybe a business venture you're excited about maybe a book you're reading, but something new that you learned this past week. I just found out TikTok has a serious radio station. And I thought that was hilarious. That was a thing that I just heard before I got on here. Oh, that is hilarious. How did you find out about that? A friend of mine just said, hey, you know, all those fun songs that everyone does dances to on TikTok? Well, now they made serious radio station for it. I was like, that's kind of smart. That is smart, but I feel like it's different demographics for some reason. I feel like TikTok is more like the younger demo. And I feel like Sirius is kind of like maybe 40s, 50s. So that's interesting. But I mean, I hope it's successful. Did you take a look at it or did you just hear about it? I did. I went on and I saw that they have it and I listened and it was one of the songs that I feel, even though I'm not on TikTok that much, I might follow things people here or there if I saw like a video they shared with me, but it's songs that I've heard people enough talk about either their kids or someone dancing to it. So I found it interesting. And I actually, from a business standpoint, I think it's very smart for them because they're going to reach a different audience. Absolutely. That's super interesting. I feel like you would do really well on TikTok, actually, because I feel like a lot of the, at least maybe it's just my algorithm, but a lot of the content I see is like really motivational, 
coach-like content that really gets people like into action and excited about life. It's very like a lot of quotes and things like that. So maybe that's something you'll do. You know what? Someone told me that's what I need to take up next. I just need to figure out how to use it. So I might be calling you for a little education on it. Totally. Yeah, we'll set up something. I actually, this is announcement here. We did launch a Dear 20-something TikTok last week. Oh, there you go. So I'm learning the ropes with you so we can teach each other. I'm happy to help. So we're going to start at the very beginning. Obviously, the show is going to be focused on your 20s and we'll get into that. But I think an important piece of that is learning more about how you grew up. So what did you want to be when you were younger? I thought I was going to be a teacher. And this is going to sound actually really funny. My first thing my mom said is I told her I was going to be a nun, which I grew up in a very Italian Catholic family. And my mom's teacher, she used to tell me we're nuns. So I think I associated nuns with teachers, but not that I wanted to be a nun. <laughs> so, But I say that because I think it was teacher in the sense that I love being able to learn something and teach it to someone so that they could learn from it and make their life better, which if you look at the irony of where I am now, that's everything in the sense of as a therapist and a coach, that's really what I do so much of. So teaching has been a big part of what I've really wanted to be. And now I've just put it as a part of my everyday career that I work with people as I'm teaching them and coaching them essentially. Yeah, that's fascinating. You really are like a professional teacher for something a little bit outside of the classroom, but that is what you do. Did you want to be like, did you have a certain grade in mind or did you just generally say, I want to be a teacher because I want to be like that nun? I love school and I love learning. So I just really felt like teaching was just a natural way to be able to help people, giving people something, a tool. And so even being a therapist, that's essentially what I do is I give people tools that they could use. And I do it more in the sports and business world now. So people will say what I do now is much like if anyone see billions, they'll say, you're like Wendy on billions. <laughs> so that's kind of what I help people with. I love that. It's important to have, I feel like, like an entertainment person to draw the career back to because not all of us are like firefighters or doctors, which are things we all kind of know. So that's hilarious. So you wanted to be a teacher when you were younger. And then did that change as you were growing up when you were in high school and then college? Like, did you start to have a change of heart and want to be something different? So when I was 16, my grandfather had a stroke and I just knew that I wanted to help people. And I was in the hospital and that's when an occupational therapist walked in and started working on his cognition and his mental status and then some of his vision and physical. And I asked her what kind of therapist she was and she explained it. And I said, that's what I want to do. I just knew when I met her because I'd been seeking something, whether it was teaching or it was serving helping people and a place where you could have a bunch of modalities. And as an occupational therapist, you learn, I specialized in the brain and I specialized in neuro, but there's so many things that you learn to be able to help people in their occupation of life, which doesn't mean just career. It means wherever they are in life, you meet them where they are and you help them become better at that, to live life to their fullest. And it's a specialized type of therapy. So that's when I learned it when I was 16. And that's what helped me pursue this passion of being able to go after being an occupational therapist. So I was very lucky because I knew what I wanted to do right at that age and then went into college. And then thankfully, not only liked it, but I loved it. And it's created an amazing career for me that I took it into another level. Absolutely. And it's obviously so unfortunate what happened with your grandfather. But the silver lining is that you had this light bulb moment that you may like this career. And I feel like occupational therapy is really niche. I mean, I know people from school that 
very rarely did they find out about it. You know, there's very few freshmen that say, I want to be an occupational therapist. It kind of takes some discovery and digging. So like you said, it's such a blessing that you found out before you went to college. And then, so I know you decided to go to Syracuse University. What went into that decision? Did you think that they had an amazing occupational therapy program? Was it the city you wanted to be in? Can you walk me through a little bit about that decision? I had applied to a handful of schools and my family being the old fashioned Italians, they didn't want me to go too far. And that was something while it was five hours, that was within driving distance for them. And so if they wanted to visit and my also, I'm come from a sports background, obviously they have a great basketball program and a lot of great sports. So it became kind of a natural fit for me to be able to choose Syracuse. And I had to go off campus to their college where they had occupational therapy. So it ended up being a great decision for me to go that direction because it was such a specialized program. And because I had to go off site to a smaller, one of their campus colleges to study occupational therapy, I had even more personalized, focused schooling and attention, which is great because you have this big university, but you have specialized college kind of experience, which you don't normally get. So it ended up, the whole experience ended up being a blessing. Right. Yeah. That's not easy to do to find your small community in a big school. That's really tough. Were you happy that you stayed close to home? I mean, obviously the school was the right fit, but were you glad that you made that decision? Five hours away was a, definitely enough where I felt like I was had been able to get the experience that I needed to have the college. The one thing I will say is going to Syracuse, the snow, I mean, I grew up in Connecticut, but the snow, I really wanted to transfer my freshman year to college to Florida. And my father was like, absolutely not. You're not going to Florida. You'll never pass. He said, you'll have so much fun there that you won't be able to pass your college education. He was probably right. It was better to stay where it was freezing. You had to be indoors more than outdoors. Yeah, but you know, I will say Syracuse is a fun place. So I hope you still had a good time. Oh, I did. Oh, good. I'm born and raised in California. So I'm absolutely a wimp. I'm always impressed. And I feel like Syracuse is one of the coldest universities. It's, I feel like, positioned in New York where it's it gets really, really cold weather, right? It's freezing. It makes you, all of it helps make you a stronger person for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So you're in school, you're getting this amazing training to do occupational therapy. Now I have to ask about the science classes. I mean, an occupational therapy degree is a lot of science courses. It's not just teaching courses. It's really like intense. And so how did you like that? Did science really speak to you? I know you hinted that you loved neuroscience, but can you talk to me a little bit more about like taking those science classes and how that went for you? I love science growing up. So science and understanding and I'm a curious person. I want to understand what makes everyone tick. So understanding in the sciences, when we had human anatomy and we had to dissect the human body and learn everything from head to toe about, you know, the human and what makes the human tick and how it's put together. And then the science of neuro and understanding that every part of the brain and what it does. And if something happens, all of that was so intriguing to me because it's, Think about it. Your brain, when you look at it, this thing could propel us forward or pull us back based on what we fill it with, based on how we treat it, based on what we do. And that was fascinating to me because the more I learned about the human body, spirit, and how it all operates, the more I would be able, kind of what I do now is be able to understand each person. So I've been fascinated. I love science over math every day, all day. 
okay, so you're in school, you're getting your occupational therapy degree, you're loving your science classes, you're fulfilling your dream of being able to help people. And then you get a wonderful job at a hospital as an occupational therapist, and you're really doing it. Can you tell me a little bit more about that job and how you liked it right out of school? And I know you were there for quite a while. So can you tell me a little bit more about like your day to day and how you enjoyed your time there? Gaylord Hospital was the first place that I went, which is a specialty rehab hospital in Connecticut. And it was where it was a teaching hospital. So I got offered more money at other places, but this place was world renowned. So it was Christopher Reeves had gone there for therapy. It was people with the most severe injuries that we'd get them after they stabilized for three months to a year. And we had some of the best doctors and therapists and nursing care, everyone that worked there, because everyone, you had to keep staying at the top of your game in order to stay there. So for that reason, it pushed me to always be better every year as a therapist, which definitely helped me later in my career for sure. And that hospital was filled with people where we had such a bond and community that we loved working together and we loved being able to go and do things even outside of the hospital together. So growing up in my 20s there, it was kind of like there's an old show called Melrose Place and 90210 and all those. But I felt like it was like a young community for 20-year-olds that we had our own bond, doctors, nurses, therapists. So it was great. It was one of the greatest ways to start off my career there. That's so nice that you had that social component. I feel like that's not always the easiest thing to find, especially when you're just getting started. Sometimes it's even worth maybe like a lesser pay or, you know, because you have that personal connection. So I know during your time there, when you were, of course, serving as a healthcare provider, suddenly one day something really awful happened. And I know you were living your best life, if you will, doing your occupational therapy training and having a lot of friends in the social life. And then everything kind of changed one day. Could you tell me a little bit more about what happened and how that's impacted your perspective? Yes, because this is a really important point and just how life could change on the dime. And all of my patients that came into the hospital, they were people just like you or I going about their day and all of a sudden an accident happened or a, a tumor appeared or a blood clot or whatever may happen. They had a brain injury of some sort. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was married at the time. We had just bought the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. I was 25 and all of a sudden the floor flipped upside down. The floor was the ceiling and the ceiling was the floor. And I was like, what is going on? And I never in a million years thought I was having a stroke. I thought it was maybe a sinus infection. I really didn't know what was happening. And then it subsided. So I thought, oh, I must be okay. And then the symptoms kept coming and going. And then finally it got so bad not that day, it was actually some days after, but I ended up going to the hospital and they misdiagnosed it. But long story short is they ended up finding I had a stroke. I had gone to a chiropractor just before that and they manipulated my neck and I had no idea when they manipulated my neck, they ripped the artery to my brain, the vertebral artery. So I was bleeding to the left side of my brain and didn't know it until it formed a blood clot. And so by the time they found it, it was too late to dislodge it because scar tissue was already just starting to form around it. So that was good news. The bad news is that a blood clot, which meant if that dislodged, I could die any day. So now I was faced at 25 with, I probably will not have kids. And then also that if I did anything that pushed this clot, my whole life could change. I could die, I could be paralyzed. I had to wrestle with that for a little bit. But what it did, Erica, is it actually fueled me because I thought, well, if I could die any day, then I'm going to choose faith over fear. 
And I'm just going to step into this and I'm going to go after everything that I want to helping people. I just went in like, I already had a lot of zest for life. I went in with 10 times more going, well, let's go. So that's what fueled me to stay in healthcare and then go back to business while I was working to try to then fix healthcare. But that's what led me to then having the opportunity to take on other jobs at an earlier age because I was so driven by the passion of wanting to help people even more. Unbelievable story. And what's so unbelievable about it is that you were treating patients like yourself. So you were almost getting your training and preparing to, I'm learning how to be an occupational therapist for all these people that struggle from strokes and other traumatic brain injuries. And then you could put into practice what you were teaching others. What were some of the most powerful practices that you leaned on that you think really helped you get through that time? I mean, I know you're now able to reflect with such clarity and such gratitude, but I can imagine at the time it was, I mean, your world flipped upside down, literally flipped upside down. So can you tell me a little bit more about some of the practices that you leaned on that helped you and maybe for others when they're going through times like that? Well, what I have to say is I was probably not the best patient, ironically, because I didn't become paralyzed from it. I had some visual problems, balance problems, vision problems. So I had more of a, what they call cerebellum issues, which is the back of the brain. And so because of that, I would sometimes push through things and I probably didn't get all the treatment that I probably needed early on. I just pushed through it. And part of it is I put myself back in a daily routine, which is what we would have taught people is to go back into a daily routine with your brain knows. But I've been being totally honest and reflective now. It wasn't until a few years after that, that that's when I actually reflected on what really had happened and then kind of dealt with it so that I could work on what I needed to, to even get better than that, to make a better outcome. So as much as I knew what to do, I probably didn't do all the things that I needed to. I pushed through it, but then it came, it hit me later on. And then that's when I dealt with it. And to be honest, ever since then, I've actually had three strokes. My worst one was just three years ago. And that I actually had to do all of my own rehab home here at the house. And it was great though. It was really great. It was hard, but it's now, let's see, gosh, years removed. I knew so much more what to do. And I've been working on mental conditioning. I've been working on this so long that now I was actually way more prepared to handle the third stroke that I had. That's unbelievable. I can't even imagine. And it must feel so scary knowing that these are going to keep happening. Is it if you have one stroke, does that mean that you're more likely to have others in the future? Yes. You're at a higher probability. It doesn't mean it'll happen. You're just at a higher probability. Well, I'm so grateful you're healthy today. And obviously you have lived so much life in just the, you know, the, the years you've been here. And I'd love to know a little bit more too, after you had this stroke at 25, you're, you know, at this job only for a few years, you end up staying at Gaylord Hospital for several more years. How was that experience? And did you ever want to take time off? Did you ever want to switch careers completely? I can't imagine having such a life-altering event happen and then sort of keeping the same career, the same profession right after. Because I really didn't, I don't want to say, but I didn't make such a big deal of it. And I kind of hid a lot of it. I didn't want people to know how much it affected me at the time because I felt like I was the person supposed to be caring for others. It was hard to receive that I needed help. So I didn't really make it a big deal. And I kind of just went through my days. And of course, the people around me that knew if I had headaches or if I started to lose some vision or they were very compassionate, but I still continued to work there and I loved it. 
And it wasn't until I finished my training for my long-term care healthcare administration education that I then proceeded to apply to try to run a section of a rehab hospital. And that's what I ended up doing. And then I ended up getting the chance later on to become president of the parent company of this at 28 years old, which then led me into the other paths that I did. And then in 2008, that's when I left everything completely. And I started my own practice because I saw that people were hurting and I wanted to be able to help them in a different way. Like you said, you're 28, you leave Gaylord Hospital and you go get your health administration degree and then you become the president of a healthcare company. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you got that role as president? I mean, typically when people switch careers, and I think this is a pattern with you, typically people don't start being the president and the COO and running things right away, which is pretty incredible. Can you tell me how you got that role and what interested you in moving into healthcare and joining maybe more the business side of things? Well, just before that, I had left to go run part of the rehab hospital, rehab center. So they had seen that kind of the work that I was doing. And we had, I had taken a facility that was not necessarily thriving and turned it around. So that helped me for sure when it came time that there was an opportunity at the corporate office to have this role. And again, at 28, did I know everything that I wanted to do? No, but I knew that I could put the right people around me. And I've always been a driven person. And I've always had great people around me that I could lean on. And so I said yes and figured it out along the way. Now, I was definitely did the preparation that I need to. I did the studying. I did the education. So I was prepared in that sense, but you can never prepare experience until you get your hands into it. So I'd never been president before, but just stepping into it, it allowed me to be able to learn everything I needed to at an early age. And I loved helping people. And you have to remember, my career was based off of helping people overcome the most extreme odds and become great at what they do or better. So I just took that and applied it to business. So it felt very natural to me because business itself is easy. Helping people and managing people, that's hard. (laughs) And when you make a career of that, then it's easier because I understand why people do what they do. Yeah, you have some great perspective. That's fascinating. And so did you enjoy being more in the behind the scenes doing like presidential duties, if you will, like managing people and building a company? I know you went on to be COO and CPO of other things, or did you enjoy more of the one-on-one stuff? I think like obviously a lot of occupational therapists do a lot of one-on-one sessions and now you do a lot of one-on-one sessions. What do you like more and what do you think is your strength? I like to have a mixture because I even have that within my world, but I love being able to be at the table where I can help affect change. So that brings me joy because if I could be at the table where we could create change and I could see that there's challenges and not have to wait for someone to have to make that change, but we can make it now, that's very empowering and it allows me to be able to help make greater change. So I love that. And I love being able to help one-on-one with certain people because I know that I could affect change there. So for me, I love having the balance. So even right now I coach companies and then I coach people one-on-one and it gives me still that balance. So I love leading and I love also serving collectively. Yeah, it sounds like you also like being busy and having a lot of passions. I think some people just like focusing on one thing at a time. And it sounds like throughout your career too, you've just had so many varying interests and had so many different jobs at one time. 
So you are obviously president at this healthcare company, doing an amazing job, learning a lot, managing people, crazy role for someone at 28. But obviously you're very driven. Like you said, you've shown a lot of resilience. And then after a couple years, you get offered to be the COO of a record label. Can you tell me a little bit more about what made you switch to that completely different industry? I mean, music, right? That's different than science. That's a little bit different than business healthcare. How did you get that opportunity? And how did you make that transition? It was actually all while I was still running the healthcare company because the person that owned all of this, he owned all of these. He had multiple entities. So there was a few executives that helped in many areas. And that was one of them. And I was helping on the day-to-day basis in the healthcare company. And then I would get on a flight and I'd fly and I would go help out with the record label. And then I'd come back and I'd help in healthcare. But again, I'm going to bring up because I think this is important for people to understand. Don't get stuck necessarily in titles, but make sure that what you're doing has the same thread of, that works within your giftedness. So my thing was being able to help people, no matter whether it's healthcare, music, education, it could be any industry. I'm always going to be the one that's asked to help see things in a different way to help people thrive and to help advance. I'm definitely a visionary. So I think they saw that and bringing ideas to the table and then helping people see that come to fruition. That's incredible. So your strength is helping people. You just take that to different industries. What advice do you have for 20 somethings who don't know what that thing is yet that maybe can be applied to a bunch of industries? And maybe right now they think, I just want to do entertainment, but I don't know what my thing is in entertainment. What advice would you give them to help them figure that out? I love this because definitely where you're obviously passionate, there's an industry that you're passionate in, lean into that. But then seek from people closest to you, friends, family, people you've worked with and ask them three to five people, hey, when you see me, what do you see as my top gifts? What are the things that if you were to write to someone about who I was and the gifts I bring to the table, what would they be? By getting that insight early on in your 20s, based on what people see and know that know you really well, you could then take those gifts and those abilities and then apply it to that industry. So for example, I'm someone who is able to hear what people are saying and then put some structure to it to help them create a plan for where they want to go. Now, what I'll say is what I'm not is the numbers. So to sit down with me and go over your financial path, That would be silly because it's going to waste both of our times and it's not something I'm passionate about. But even besides that, even if I was passionate, I'm not even gifted in it. Or change example, say I wanted to get into the music business for singing. Well, I can't sing. So why would I waste my time? I would do what I did, which is I would use my gifts to be able to help the people in the industry so that the artists could thrive, so that they could feel confident, so that the team could thrive. So understand your abilities and your gifts and apply that to the area that you're passionate about, you will thrive. But if you just go after what you're passionate about without understanding necessarily what your gifts are, it's going to be a little bit harder of a road. I love that idea too of leaning on the people around you to tell you, because I think there's all this pressure that like, you know, deep in your gut, what your thing is, you know, you know, and sometimes you're like, I really don't know. And maybe you think it's singing, but you're not a very good singer. And you need someone else to maybe tell you, hey, you may think it's singing, but I don't think it's really singing. And so this idea that you lean on your community is super powerful. And like you said, you ended up clearly connecting with the right person that had all these amazing opportunities for you. And they saw your gift and they didn't isolate you to just an industry. 
which I think is also so special for when you're younger, because I don't think that happens very often. It doesn't. And if I honestly, if I could tell everyone in their 20s, seek multiple opportunities. Even if you're in something you love, don't be afraid to say to your friend in another industry, hey, I just want to kind of learn what you're doing. Be a curious person because the more you're curious and the more you're open, the more you will have opportunities in the future. And nothing else, you'll understand why people love what they love in different areas. Yeah, it's getting like educated on that area. You don't even need to like do a job in that area or work in that industry. You can just be aware of it. And so like you said, you're learning. I do have to ask you because of course you are the you know famous Coach Dar. After you worked at the record label, you started and founded your own company and now you have this big empire as a coach. I do want to ask you about having a coach in your 20s. It's something that we've heard a lot from our listeners. What do you think about getting a coach in your 20s? For a lot of 20-somethings, obviously, they're figuring it out. So they may want a coach, right? They may want someone to give them advice, but maybe they can't financially afford it or they don't know where to go. So what are your thoughts on people getting advice from professional coaches or mentors when they're in their 20s? And how can they seek that out in a realistic way? I think it's phenomenal. I coach a lot of people in their 20s because in professional athletes, they're coming up into the space, obviously, in their 20s. Or I'm coaching 20-year-olds that just are finishing college and they're about to embark into that first job or where they want to go. So I do coach in that area. It is definitely expensive in certain areas. But what I'll say is that doesn't mean that you should completely put this out because there are programs and there's places that you can get coaches And you could find so many different ones online. They have to be the right fit for you. But everyone who's ever wanted to be great in their life has had a coach that helped them get there. Because it's someone who's able to help you see where you are, help get you, hold you accountable to it, and give you the tools that you don't have necessarily yet. You weren't ever shared about what it meant to be a great leader. Some of the athletes that I get, they'll say, okay, well, I'm leading this team, but no one ever taught me leadership. So now we have to learn leadership. There are many areas that in your 20, you can get a head start by learning these things now that people often wait until their 40s or 50s to do. So don't wait. And I would say go online. There's coaching programs. See what the reviews are. And I would just start asking around. And maybe there's people within your family or friends that are using a coach that they might be able to work with you and give you a discount. Love that. Yeah, that's so valuable. I've heard too that it's good to have a coach in different areas of life. What are your thoughts on that? Like a relationship coach might not even be someone who's a legitimate coach that is certified, but it might just be a couple that you really admire that has a beautiful marriage or a financial coach. It could be a real coach who studied it and is certified, but maybe they've just built some businesses and you know they've been good with money. Like what are your thoughts on having coaches for different industries? Well, think about it this way. At this age, you could even start to put your own personal board of directors together, which is you could ask people, mentors to be on your board, one in finance, one in health, one in relationships, one in obviously career, one in maybe just, maybe it's spiritual growth, maybe it's personal development. And these are the people that you go to to learn more about what made them so great in this area. And then when there's a life decision to be made in that area, you go to them. I love that. I love formalizing it too, calling it like your personal board of directors and saying, hi, I'm inviting you to have a slot on my personal board of directors. 
And worst case scenario, they just say, no, I don't have time. Best case scenario, they can be someone that you can bounce ideas off of, like you said. I think that's a great idea. It's beautiful. They love to be able to help. And one, if you're starting in your 20s, this always looks good for you that you're even seeking this early on for as you want to advance your career and your life. I completely agree. All right. Well, I do have one final question for you. We could talk forever. I know you've done so many great things. And I do have to say, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Phoenix Suns. And I know you do a lot of conditioning for them. My twin lives there. My family's from there. I've rooted for them in the finals. So I will say out of a lot of teams, the Phoenix Suns have a special place in my heart for being an LA girl. Thank you. Because they are an amazing group led by a great coach. So thank you. They are. All right. Well, my final question for you, we ask all of our guests this question, and I know you've mentioned lots of pieces of advice throughout this conversation, but if you could say just one piece of advice to every 20 something in the world, what advice would you give them? I feel like the thing that I shared about really going and asking people to really help you understand what your gifts and abilities are and lean into that to connect it to your passion is one of the greatest things you can do. Because to just say you could do anything in this world, it's not really true. Because again, that would be like me saying, I want to be in the WNBA. I'm 5'2". I don't have a shot. So while I love basketball, I shouldn't go play basketball for a profession. Can I help in it? Well, I clearly did. So if you understand how you can take your gifts and abilities, apply it to your passion, you'll have a much more fulfilled life than just after going after something that maybe you don't have the gift or skills in, but you're really passionate about that. Make that a hobby. Make that a hobby, but make your thing that you thrive and you contribute in this society based on the gifts and the abilities that you have. And it will make it for an easier road. That doesn't mean it's not going to have hard times, but you'll just thrive faster. Because again, it's like taking the athletes I work with, it's making their strengths stronger, not their weaknesses. So lean into that. Absolutely. That's great advice. And would you say that the final outcome we're looking for is the one gift that you think stands above everyone else? Is it you should have a handful of them? What do you think is the thing that people should identify? Because I love adding like a final deliverable so that people know what to do. What do you think is the one thing that they should all come away with? Write down three to five of your top gifts and abilities. After you went and seeked out three to five people to talk to them about this, to get some validation, there's going to be common themes that the common themes that everyone says and what you know, that's what you're going to write down as your three to five gifts. Then put down the things that you're passionate about. Then seek to find out. So step is one is ask three to five people to write what your gifts are. Step two is to take the themes that you see and write three to five gifts from that. Number three is aligning it with the things that you're passionate about. And number four is seeking to find a place that aligns those gifts and those passions together. I love it. Thank you for putting it in four steps for me. I appreciate it. And that's super, super helpful, I'm sure, for our audience. All right. Well, it is time for the Q&A portion of our show. I see we have C requesting to speak. I'll bring you up. Hi, what a pleasure. Do you have any messages for people about how to stay positive? Were you always born a positive person or is it something consciously when you felt a little blue or a little low or a little, you know, depressed that you do to pull you up? Well, thank you for asking. And it's something that I do believe naturally I was born with a view of optimism. However, I did have a great role model, which was my mother. She passed away two years ago and she was so resilient and she went through a lot and she'd get back up. So her resiliency really taught me 
this power of being able to see things through a different lens and perspective. And so on a day-to-day basis, when you get down or you go through hard times, because we all will, I use this tool called the power of reframing. I try to reframe the situation to say, if I put this in a different perspective, it won't make the situation easier, but I could see the lesson in this. I could see the way through this, or I could see that this is eventually going to help me or why this is happening. And if I could see it in a better light, then I could handle it. And then also day to day, I really do monitor what I listen to, who's around me, if I can, obviously, what I'm filling myself with mentally and physically, it does contribute to how I help my state every day. And I can't give what I don't have. So every morning I listen to something, I fuel my mind with something so that I could be prepared to help others. And it makes a difference. It keeps you more in a, I will call it realistic optimism. So I'm realistic about what's happening, but I'm optimistic about what's ahead. It's great advice. And how do you separate out the negative? Is it just cutting out people who maybe aren't so positive? Is it not watching the news? Like what are the things that you do to control the type of information you're receiving? So I definitely, I don't watch the news. I'll read it because I don't want to take in the information through their voices because voices are the things you hear and that could sense fear. Your brain could sense fear. But if I read it, then I could determine how I want to feel about it. So I take the news in that way that I need to find out. And then as far as who I hang out with, of course, you're going to meet people, you're going to work with people, but truly my inner, inner circle It's people who are going to be, they don't always have to be positive, but it's people that by nature are trying every day to be the best versions of themselves and they understand the world that I'm in. So it's really important about being around people that by nature, they're not gossipers or negative, or they're willing to work to change that. So that's what works for me. And it's really helped. And it's what I help other people and see, I just want to say thank you for asking the question that you did too. Yeah, great question. It sounds like you surround yourself with people who really prioritize their own growth. Like you said, it's not even always about being positive. It's that even if you say like, hey, this is upsetting me, they're willing to grow and move forward and they have like a growth mindset. And maybe that's like the secret to your inner circle is making sure that they all have that same like-minded energy. Absolutely. Remember the saying, you are like the five people you surround yourself with. The people you hang out with, if say you're trying to be healthy and everyone you hang out with, is just eating poorly, putting things in their body that's not healthy, you're by nature going to slip and you're going to succumb to the the average of the five people. Or you're going to keep struggling and it's going to feel like an anchor. So you want to be around people that are raising the bar because if they're raising the bar, it's easier for you to raise the bar because you know the expectation. I talked earlier today about Tom Brady. He definitely is not going to let people around him that are going to lower the bar. He would never be able to make it 44 years in the NFL if he did that. He chooses to set the bar and everyone rises to it. And I'm encouraging people to be that. I love that. Yeah, that's how he's able to go from team to team and win Super Bowls. No problem, which is pretty incredible. All right, we have Lindsay's going to come up and ask a question. Hi, thank you so much for sharing everything. Everything you said was so powerful. And it was there a piece of advice that you received in your young adult years that you carried with you that really helped you get through hard times or just really like redirected you and stayed with you? Great question. I actually want to go to, I had mentor that was in, at this point, he was in his seventies. And he said to me, you're a good leader, but you could be better. And I said, why? And he says, there's things that you can do. There's cracks in your foundation. 
You need to be someone that when you say it, you follow it all the way through. If you tell someone you're going to call them back, you call them back. If you set an appointment, you make it. He said, be the person that is a person of their word day in and day out. And he said, if you're consistent with that, it will truly help people trust you and you'll rise as a leader. And it was at a point in my life where the redirection was great because I was starting my own practice. So I really had to be the leader that if I wasn't being everything that I needed to be, then there's no way that my practice would have been able to grow. But it took someone who loved me enough to say, hey, here are the areas that I think you can get better at. And I had to be open to be able to hear that at a young age and make those changes. So put people in your life that are going to help call you up and help you become a better person because that was a game changer for me. And you know, when someone trusts and loves you, you're more open to receive their information, but have those people in your life because they truly will help you get further in life by being honest with you rather than just pleasing the ego. I love that. And maybe that's part of the four-step process we talked about earlier, where you ask your loved ones about your gifts. Maybe that's a good time to say, and what are the things I can work on and be willing to hear it and maybe just try both. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your guys' wonderful questions. Coach Dar, this has been so wonderful. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us, for agreeing to come on and then showing up and coming on and keeping your word. I do really, really appreciate it. Could you let everyone know where they can follow you on social media? And then of course, I know you have an awesome masterclass. Could you let everyone know where they can find that as well? And then last thing, you have a show on Fireside. Could you also tell them a little bit more about that? Like we said, the woman who does it all. So all your things, could you share with us? Perfect. So everyone could find me on here on Fireside. Every day I go live at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Awakening Greatness is the show and a daily dose of DAR. So I give five to 10 minutes of a daily dose of inspiration that's going to shift your mindset and help you step into your greatness. So that's the start. And then there's going to be another show that I'll be starting once a month coming soon. You'd also find me on social and it's at the coach dar. So at the T-H-E and then coach dar. Check me out on Twitter, Instagram, or even LinkedIn as Darlene Santor. And then my website is coachdar.com. And that's where my masterclass is. So you can go online and take a masterclass, which I created pretty much like a TED talk. So it's five increments, but they're about 10 minutes series. And it'll help just you level up your life and I'll help you shift. It's really one of the keynotes that I do often that I made into a masterclass. So you could find that there and pretty much there. If you go to coachstar.com, it'll send you everywhere. It'll be the masterclass and definitely follow along on Fireside daily or watch the replays 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or on social. Amazing. I'm excited to hear about this monthly show. Maybe you can give me a sneak peek about what it's going to be. Do you have any insights for us? Yes, there's going to be some great current and former professional athletes and CEOs sharing about awakening their greatness and the trials and the triumphs that they went to to get where they are and the lessons we learned from it. Oh, that sounds so good. Well, we're going to have to share that with our listeners as well once that goes live. So we'll definitely connect on that. And on a personal note, too, I think even just following, you know, Coach Dar on Instagram, you know, she posts so many great little snippets and like little quotes that really get you inspired and into action. So I would say, if nothing else, just throw her a follow because at least for me, it's been a, a great boost in my life. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, please give us a follow over at Dear20something on Instagram or on TikTok, like we've shared. We now have a TikTok. Subscribe, rate, and review also anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Coach Dar. Thank you, Erica. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone.